everything happened on June 3rd. There were death of soldiers. Uh, we So I told you after June 4th, we were uh, in school, we were told to watch a documentary, right? And in the documentary, we actually saw mm-hmm. uh, bodies. Yeah, you've seen those images yeah, too, yeah. right? Like you can find them online. We saw the charred bodies of PLA soldiers hanging from the overpass in Beijing. We saw like the... The, the char bodies of uh, PLA soldiers with uh, with uh, guts falling out, you know, been have been disemboweled basically with the guts falling out, and we saw mm-hmm. like just a black corpse of PLA soldiers uh, burn like you know outside their APC, and and then there's also images of like this whole rows of um, APC and tanks that got burned, right? You can also find those images right. online, and and um, so that's a big question. When did those happen? I mean, before June 3rd, uh, definitely no, none of that kind of violence, right? Um, there were some, some shuffle matches, like we were, we talk about, you know, people, um, there were some, 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 some shuffle matches between the soldiers and, and the citizens. Um, there were, might even be, uh, yeah, like in the in the documentary we watched later in school, it showed that incident with a bus, and you actually showed the Beijing police trying to uh, dispel the crowd by firing uh, uh, tear gas. Right, that's the first time we saw Chinese police firing tear gas. <laughs> Chinese government mm-hmm. documentary, no less. But um, uh, um, it went. But the thing is. June 3rd, we, we, we just don't know. We just don't know exact time when the soldiers were attacked and killed, right? We, 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 it's hard to figure out uh, the timelines, but none of that happened uh, during daytime in June 3rd. So we... Right. And the pictures are at nighttime, like the burning... You know, the burning APCs, the fires are mostly are put out by the day. Like when you see them on fire, it's all dark. What happened was uh, in the evening of June 3rd, that's when the, the, the army made the massive move push into Beijing. And according to the documentary and according to some of the um, sources online, uh, the, the, the firing happened around 10.30 at night. That's when the firing started. And now there, there are a couple, the documentary also talk about this, right? The, the this, mm-hmm. a lot of the casualties and a lot of the, the shooting happened on the approach to the square, right? Not the square itself, but um, as the army is pushing in into Beijing, especially, specifically, a couple places, especially Mu Shidi, right? Right to the west of Tiananmen. Yes, and and this is the part that I find interesting because there were high rises in Mu Shidi, and and those high rises housed um, government officials and their families and important people. Right? Back in the eighties, right? Like every all the houses are basically government assigned. And you get assigned mm. based on your ranks and seniority, right? But the, the, the Mushidi apartments were, back then, were nice apartments, were assigned to, like, high-level officials and their families. Now, there were conflicting report about what happened. So, uh, supposedly, you know, the PLA claimed that they were under fire from snipers on the, from the direction of the apartment. So, they fired back. And then we know... The apartment in Mushidi got shot up, and so there, there were reports of people sitting in their apartments getting shot, right, uh, by the mm-hmm. bullets coming in from down below uh, by the army. Um, but the claim, so that that's all, all, all. I always thought that was interesting because those those apartments were all the important people lived, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, right. And and I can't I can't think of a reason. I mean, I can see why people, the, the, the army fired to say, uh, to clear their path to, to Tiananmen, right? To, to push onto Chang'anjie, this street of Long Peace. Mm-hmm. But 
why do they fire against Mushidi apartments? I mean, that that part I think we can establish because we have multiple eyewitness accounts. Right. There are people just say like, you know, a bullet came through my window. There are so many reports of things like that. Yes. But the, the, the claim... I believe that the claim is that the army were under fire from the Mushidi apartment, so they fired back. They might have been under fire, but there also were reports of like Molotovs basically being thrown, and those are from people, you know, maybe like in alleyways around the streets, because that's where a lot of the burning APCs are. And right. I think it's unlikely that you would throw Molotovs from apartment buildings, but you know, maybe that happens. That far, I mean, you you gotta be like making baseball hall of fame. You right, know? like I. <laughs> High rise, like I, I don't know. I, I find that a little hard to believe, but you know, like yeah. bullet fire maybe. Um, but you know, there are definitely also people on the ground. They're makeshift barricades, throwing Molotovs in, and a lot of the APCs catch on fire. So, yeah. you know, there's you can see why like the the soldiers might have panicked or like they started firing back in the dark. You know, like I guess like whatever direction you think it's coming from, but it's definitely not. It's definitely like uh, somewhat chaotic. Uh, scene there. It's very chaotic. Yes. Yeah. So Mushidi is one of the uh, kind of highly concentrated uh, shooting happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the part we know, what we know is apartments got shot up. You know, people inside apartments getting shot and their windows getting shot out. This is a part where we don't know, mm-hmm. right? We don't know the series of events. What happened first? Did the army get attacked first or did the army? Uh, army shoot first we just don't know and and because uh, there are just too many if it, it, it happened at night it's very very chaotic um the chinese government version is that the army was under attack right there were hooligans and rioters who who attacked the you know after the the barricade stopped the apc and the tanks they pour gasoline used molotov cocktails burned up the the apcs and killed bunch of soldiers you know very brutal way and that triggers the the mm-hmm. response from the army that's the chinese government version right and then the other version um i think that's a version presented in the documentary as well is that uh the army in its push into uh into Tiananmen when they're uh, pushing in from the outskirts of beijing they start shooting they start shooting first, first into the air and then into the crowd to clear the crowd. Then it's a very chaotic scene, and and people were throwing a Molotov cocktails, throwing bricks. Um, they they were, I mean, they were using makeshift weapons. Um, so at this time, there were still there's a lot much reduced population on Tiananmen Square. First of all, Tiananmen Square at mm-hmm. one point there was more than a million people sitting in, right? Uh, but by by June third, it's uh, it's the, the crowd is locked in there. But there's still like a, a dedicated group of people who decided to set out in Tiananmen. So people in Tiananmen did not know exactly what was happening on the outskirts, right? On the on the outskirts, as, as the army was pushing in. But there was a scene in a documentary where somebody came up with the army. Uh, like AK-47, right? Like the Chinese version of AK, mm-hmm. like the semi-automatic rifle. Uh, they they were demanding revenge uh, against the army. And Liu Xiaobo, they say, no, no, that, that's a bad idea. That's Yeah, it's Liu Xiaobo. And he, he takes the gun and he smashes it against um, the stone, basically, to, to break it. But yeah, it was something... At the People's Monument. Yeah. Yeah, at the, 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 at the monument to People's Martyr. So... So yeah, so there were definitely, you know, somebody, people were getting their hands on, on weapons from the PLA soldiers somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe maybe even the ones, the, the weapons from the, pre, the the previous day on June 3rd, because that there was that incident where that those uh, buses were getting intercepted and people were pulling the guns out. That was in the documentary too. Um, in the documentary, they claimed that people handed over the weapons to the Beijing police, but who knows? Maybe not all the weapons were turned. Right. And uh, yeah, and then there was definitely shooting um, as PLA was pushing into the into the square. A um, lot of the casualty happened basically on the approach to the Tiananmen Square mm-hmm. in Mushidi and a couple other places. I don't remember the other one. I just remember Mushidi stands out because. 
apartments getting shot up. Um, and yeah. Go ahead. And once they get to the square, then basically, you know, the students, after some debate, they decide to send out some representatives to negotiate with the with the army, basically, and and hold it again. This chosen because yeah, yeah, there was a actually big debate whether they should even negotiate. And finally, I think it's one of the uh, so there were four g- g- gentlemen of Tiananmen Square, right? There were Hou Dejian, Liu Xiaobo, and there are two others whose names I, I escape me at the moment. But they kind of took upon themselves uh, to go negotiate with the army because the students couldn't decide. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a sp- kind of evenly split, and so they took it upon themselves to go negotiate with the army. And the army basically demanded that they evacuate the square. And the at one point they cut out the lights mm-hmm. in, to Tiananmen Square, right? So so like they cut out the lights for for a little, little while, so everything was in the dark. And in the end, the students took a vote on whether to leave the square or not. Um, and and that's where um, the again those four people hold the Xiaobo and them. Um, they did play a part, a important part in this because they, again, they did by voice, right? Um, and actually, from the voice, they couldn't tell whether which side was stronger, the the, the side wanted to leave or the side wanted to stay. But they 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 made the decision among themselves because they thought, okay, even there's five more people that wanted to leave, but they are afraid to speak up, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and because, whereas the people who wanted to stay are usually more vocal, <laughs> so so they, they took that into consideration, and given the close call, they decided to call it for uh, people who want to leave. Um, and in the end, they reached the agreement with the with the People's Liberation Army officers, and the the four, Odejian, Liu Xiaobo, and the other two, they they led the students out to the square, right? So. The, but at up to this point, um, there have been no bloodshed on Camden Square itself. Um, in fact, that's what Ho Dejian said himself. Because Ho Dejian uh, stayed on the square to a bare end with Liu Xiaobo and the others. And he said, I saw no bloodshed on yeah. the Camden Square from what I saw. Right. And, and, and Liu Xiaobo actually backed him up on that. Liu Xiaobo issued another statement back Hodogen on his statement that there was no bloodshed. But there apparently was some bloodshed because as the students were leaving, uh, there was an APC, for whatever reason, crashed into the the uh, the retreating students. And that particular incident caused 11 death. You know, we know the exact number of people mm-hmm. who died on Tiananmen Square on the night of, uh, basically, night of June 3rd and the morning of June 4th. They didn't reach the agreement with the PLA. They didn't take the vote and reach the agreement with PLA until like 4 o'clock in the morning or something like that. So from 4 to 6, they decided they were evacuating square. And while that happened, the APC crashed into the retreating students. I think one of the students' leader that was interviewed by uh, Gato Heavenly Peace talked about that. She said she was shocked because they were already leaving, and then this, uh, this what she said was a tank or whatever. Ran yeah, I think they even have a clip of that. It's like an APC, and it just kind of like wildly careens into like, you know, a group of people. Yeah. So, um, in the documentary, right about this, like when they have the evacuation, they play that audio clip of Chai Ling, like very tearful you know, asking the people to, to rise up against the fascists. And, and this is like the source for most of the claims you hear in the, the media about Tiananmen, that the tanks are running people over and over again into like, you know, human pancakes, basically. Because that's what she says on the, the audio tape. When does Chai Ling leave the square? Does she leave with like um, most students or does she leave before the negotiations? Um. See, that's the part I was actually surprised to find out. Chai Ling actually stayed pretty late. Like, she took part in the in the vote that whether they should leave or not, right? So she, mm-hmm. um, I had to look up on, she definitely stayed until the night of June 3rd. She was still on the yeah. square. Um, in the documentary, after her, like, saying that she wasn't going to stay, 
a couple of days later, she decides, oh, well, I'm back because, you know, some people said that I should yeah. stay. So she's back. They have that audio clip in there, there as well. Yeah, yeah. So so she so the uh, she was there, I mean, at least if not to very end, but pretty late. Uh, and and the, I don't know if she left like a few hours early or not, but but she was there the night of June 3rd. Um, mm-hmm. And right. And, uh, but the audio clip you're talking about is the audio clip she gave, it's an interview she gave to uh, the Hong Kong uh, television, right? Um, and that was broadcasted after June 4th. Um, you know, Tsai gave that audio testimony and also later, Urukai, she said the same, same about, uh, you know, basically army just massacring people on the square. And, and all the uh, student leaders were saying saying this until basically Hou Dejian, who came out, said, no, that's not true, right? And, mm-hmm. and Hou Dejian was attacked by a lot of people for, for speaking out, um, you know, like, like, like basically calling him a traitor or whatever. But Hou Dejian's argument was saying, like, look, you know, we don't have to make up stuff it's it's all like all the facts were playing like this was we have the moral high ground on our side you don't need to make up uh worse stuff to 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 you are only doing damage to our cause by 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 lying about it right and mm-hmm. and and you shall backed up a whole gen's testimony by by saying yes yes we were there too there and we didn't see bloodshed on campus square you know as far as we could see Right. Right. So, so I, I, but I do uh, like to point out there was that incident of the APC crash into students costing 11 that, I mean, that could, I mean, conceivably you could say that's where all the rumors about tanks crushing people come from. Mm. Right. But, but uh, still that, that would be a big exaggeration because um, in the end, all the students left, right? Except yeah. those 11 that were got crushed by that APC. Yeah, and I think that's basically the um, the consensus of most people, even in the West, at least among academics or people who have studied Tiananmen seriously, that most of the deaths that happened happened outside the square on the approach. Um, and there's very little bloodshed in the square itself. Yeah. Like that, that seems to be the consensus, like in Western academic paper. Obviously, they're still, yeah. they still condemn, like, you know, what the CCP did, but at least in the numbers wise, like there, there is some consensus that most of the bloodshed happened outside of the square. And, you know, there are some very inflated numbers like that, that famous British cable thing that have some wild numbers there. I don't really think there are some you know, by, yeah. by most sources, you know, out there. I want to talk about that British cable. Yeah, because the, that British cable uh, that was leaked came out very recently, right? Mm-hmm. And it was widely quoted by media and as some kind of some, oh my God, revelation. But the cable itself, if you look at what it actually says, this the cable dated from June 5th basically right after it happened. He quoted an anonymous Chinese, high-level Chinese official, right, that claimed tens of thousands of people may have been killed on Tiananmen Square, mm-hmm. right? So first of all, unless that high-level Chinese official was on Tiananmen Square itself, we probably don't have first account information of what happened immediately after in the immediate aftermath, right? We already have eyewitness account from people who were there, from like the, the people like Liu Xiaobo who was later awarded a Nobel Prize, right? And 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 Hou Jian. By these people who are obviously have no incentive to support the Chinese government version of the story, right? Who said uh, you know, there was no bloodshed on Square itself. And that, that we already established, there, yes, there was that incident where the, the APC crashed into his retreating student body, killing 11. And, and so the, 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 the cable uh, contained some wild exaggeration. That, that's, 
actually, I, 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 I'm willing to give a benefit of doubt, right? Like in the in kind of the fog of war, right? Scenario in right after it happened, it was very, it was hard to separate the rumor from the truth, mm -hmm. right? So maybe the high level Chinese official, maybe he was real, maybe he heard from his sources that indeed tens of thousands of people were killed, but it doesn't mean that, I mean, the cable may be real, but the information that will convey in the cable is, is now we already have plenty of evidence to suggest otherwise. Right. Right. But the, the fact that this, that cable was leaked more recently, right around the time when, I mean, the, the uh, China U S tension was being ratcheted up by U S government. Typical coincidence, of course. Yeah. I mean, suspicious, a little bit suspicious. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, you know, and Cable is June 5th, as you mentioned. So there's also something else that happened June 5th that I want to talk about. Yes. And that's, yes. you know, the, the famous tank man. So yes. I think like most listeners will probably already know, but, you know, the larger photo of a tank man shows him blocking a tank home and leaving Tiananmen Square after all the protests and all, all the, like, students had been evacuated. Like, you can see the empty square in yeah. the background. You can see the Great Hall of the People. Um, this happened on the morning of June 5th, by the way. Right. And it's um, it's a very iconic photograph. And um, I, I want to say that I think most people see this as, like, happening live during the protests yeah. or something like that. But, you know, yeah. it did happen a little later. And I don't want to get your thoughts on, like, you know, what – what, what was he trying to say? What was he trying to do there? He's just trying to, like, what kind of point was he trying to make? I mean, he's obviously trying to block the tanks. I mean, I, I can understand that because um, things were still pretty chaotic the day after, right? On June 5th. Mm -hmm. I mean, the martial law just, just de uh, declared the square was just being cleared uh, the night before, right? Uh, I mean, or... Mm -hmm. uh, the day before, because the, the, the square got cleared on the morning of June 4th. Right. Okay, the, the, on the morning of June 4th, and this is now like a day later in the morning of June 5th, but uh, the troops were still in Beijing. You know, a lot of people were still fearful uh, what the troops were, and, and there were still sporadic clashes that's happening, um, you know, even on June 5th. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, like people were, there were still incidents of people throwing bricks and tension is still very high. So he's obviously trying to block the tank. I don't, uh, you know, some people, I saw some people were suggesting, you know, he, he's mm -hmm. telling the tank to turn back to Tiananmen Square. <laughs> I, that's, I think that's, that's it. I, I would, I mean, like, the square is empty. You can see it in the yeah, photo. Yeah. Even though the tank's turned back, there's nothing there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's he's obviously trying to block the tank from going to the other part of Beijing, right? So, so the mm -hmm. martial law lasted in Beijing for several weeks. Um, I mean, the, the the PLA were in Beijing, um, you know, for 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 a little bit of time, right? And 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 this is June fourth, fifth. So so there was still a lot of resentment, a lot of uh, tension. Um, I mean, he's probably doing what he thinks he's uh, trying to do by helping to, to block the tanks. And he, he might be angry uh, about what happened the day before. You know, we, we uh -huh. at the end, we just don't know. And I was surprised because I posted the, the clip, the full clip of him blocking the long column of tanks. Uh -huh. um, he has a discussion with the tank driver. Yeah, and people were saying on Twitter that they saw the footage for the first time. You know, they said they, they saw the image, they saw the photo before, but they, this is the, the first time they're viewing the actual footage. Um, and the fact that many people actually thought he was being crushed to death after the photo, um, whereas the footage showed, you know, he was being whisked away at the last moment. Um, and the tank was trying to avoid him to go around him, but he was... He will try to, you know, continuously block the tank's advance. Like this happened for a few minutes, and eventually, um, some people who rushed in to to whisk him out of the way. Now, there are several versions of what happened to him, right? Um, 
one version proposed by some Western journalists is that the people who whisk him away are actually under uh, cover police. They, 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 he, he got poly arrested and disappeared. And, and the other version, also another Western journalist who was there reporting on Tiananmen Square, I think Jane Wong, her name was, um, and she was a big critic of the Chinese government also. And, but she thinks that uh, China, even Chinese government don't know who, who he is, that, that, he, that those people were not playing uh, close police. They were just people, uh, you know, whisk him out of the way to safety. And that to this day, even Chinese government don't have the information on him. In fact, uh, many years later, Zhang, when Zhang Zemin visited, President Zhang Zemin visited the United States, um, I think he was asked by Wallace on, on, uh, on TV what happened to that man, and uh, Zhang Zemin said, we don't know. Uh, that, that, was, that was the answer. And, and then um, Wallace suggested maybe he was killed. Uh, there are some people who suggest maybe he was killed. Uh, Zhang Zemin replied that um, yeah, I don't think I don't think he was killed. Right. That was so. That's what we that that is official line, right, <laughs> from the Chinese government. Don't know at this point. We don't know because at this point we don't even know that person's name. I mean, there there's a there's a name. Some some guys call him Wang Weilin, but really nobody really know what his real name is, and we don't know. Yeah, what he's up you know, to, where he is today, or. Um, yeah. Okay. And, you know, a lot of it has been made about uh, people don't recognize that image in China. And, you know, I actually don't think that's that crazy. I mean, like, it's, I strongly disagree that people don't know about the events of 1989, like, especially in Beijing. It's just, you know, it was on TV. Everyone knows about it. And I was flipping through a book at the uh, Amazon bookstore the other day called Under Red Skies. It's like a, a memoir of this um, uh, girl who grew up in China. She was born in um, like 1989, like me. And she heard about this stuff. She found a magazine. And in the magazine, there's like a, a column about, you know, how like these students were infected with bourgeois liberalization. They had started these protests, you know, and, and it was bad. But she found that in a magazine in 2001 in China. So like there are definitely a lot of materials out there. Obviously, it reflects a certain viewpoint, but but you know the it's still there. It's not like they're they're trying to pretend it didn't happen, which we see a lot of jokes about that in the West. But you know, she can find this in two thousand one in a printed magazine. It it's definitely it's definitely around. Like you know, you saw it on TV. Your family saw it on TV. So like you know, give, give me your take on this. Like and okay. and whether you think like Tank Man himself. That image is, is well known in China. Yeah, so there's a generation gap here. I mean, it's important that mm -hmm. she was born in '89 or after, right? Um, because I was already 13 in 1989, and mm -hmm. uh, and I mentioned to you right after was we were showing a government put together footage, and in that the government documentary, guess what? There's a tank man. And in fact, the tank man, the tank man footage in its entirety was broadcasted on Chinese state te television in 1989 on CCTV to all Chinese household, right? Whereas, you know, chi chi Chinese mm -hmm. government was trying to spin uh, the event as saying, look, look at our conscientious, uh, courageous uh, PLA officers who did his most try to avoid him. You know, who is this guy? And, and, and there was a very famous line by the CCTV anchor. He called him the Tongbi Dai the Dai Tu, right? Uh, maybe you can help translate that. Um, geez. So, so, so there's a Chinese idiom called Tongbi Dai right? Tongbi Dai, uh, Tongbi Dan Dang Tongbi Dang literally means uh, um, the, the praying mantis is trying to block mm -hmm. the wheel with his, uh, with, with his arm, right? Uh, with his claw. 
But basically, describe a situation where someone who vastly overestimated himself. Right? Too sure, right? Like trying to hit a rock with an egg is another common Chinese saying along those lines, something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, the Chinese state TV anchor called him a <laughs> basically calling him a bandit who's trying to block yeah. the wheel with his uh, puny, uh, puny insect arm, right? Uh, and 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 um, then followed by another famous line: uh, right? This is uh, if our ironclad uh, yeah, that's, Calvary, that's large really age. funny because that's like TSG is something you you see referring to like say like the Huns or or the Manchu armies, you know, and um, like uh, Emperor talking about his troops. But it's I, I think that was in the documentary actually. I remember a part in which they had Chinese voiceover for that tankman scene. So I, I think that is around. Yes. So if, you, if you're curious, yeah. they do have a translation live of that as well in the documentary. Yep, it's in the documentary, The Gate of Emily Peace. Um, so I'm so that footage was shown on Chinese state TV, CCTV, the full footage in 1989. Mm-hmm. So if you if you were alive, you know, uh, you know, not a tiny kid, you probably remember that scene. Like if you're a 13 year old like me, you will definitely remember that scene, right? So, so anybody who is 40 and above, right? I'm 42 now. So for a 40 year old would be like, what, 10, 10 uh, in 1989. So any, any, anybody 40 and above in China back mm-hmm. then would know the tank man, right? Um, for people younger than 40, that's kind of if, because that footage after it was shown in 1989, later, all, all those references were were kind of obviously not there anymore, <laughs> not on the internet. Um, Why would they keep showing it, you know? Like, <laughs> it's like, um, you know, yeah. it happened, we'll show it then, but like five years later, I, I'm sure the government is not in any hurry to like, you know, keep showing everyone. It's like, hey, look. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, so, so, so like, so if you are 40 and above in China, you will definitely know. Um, and for the younger people, I, I, I can't say for sure. But then again, it's like these, uh, how memories and historical memory works, right? I mean, I have never experienced cultural revolution. I was born in 1976, mm-hmm. right? I, I, I'm literally born, I'm born on October 1976, right after uh, gang of four got arrested, right? So it's a, like I was the first post-cultural revolution generation. But I know plenty of uh, cultural revolution just from the stories I heard from neighbors, from my family, from from everyone, right, growing up. And, you know, like if, if anybody under age of 30, if they just ask anybody who is 40 year old and above, they will have that information, <laughs> you know, and I think that's how probably most people, uh, like 30 and under people learn about him and probably heard from initially from hearing stories from, from people who are mm-hmm. older, you know, in the family. And, and, but my experience online, right. I'm in a lot of WeChat circles, right. Mm-hmm. Everybody seems to know. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. like I, I, I tweeted an image that was shared in my WeChat circle. It's somebody who was very cleverly they put a use a, a Chinese cigarette boxes, but pulling one cigar like the, 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 there was two Chinese cigarette boxes, but they pulling one cigar out, right? So it looks like almost it could be a tank, right? And they put a cigarette lighter in front. Looks like. It's blocking mm. the tank, right? And in that image, everybody just got the reference immediately, right? And I, I like to think that not all the WeChat circle I'm in are all like bunch of old fogies, forty and above, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but everyone seemed to get it, and and then, and basically, um, I know another guy who's Weibo, who's like 
two million follower Weibo account got banned because on the day of June fourth, he posted a picture. He drew a cartoon of some toy tanks and um, like some guy looking down and looking at the toy tanks. And, and that was a reference, by the way. And and he was his Weibo account was was banned because of that. But I mean. That's because people recognize that image, and, and you know people know about it. But I, I can't, I, I can't say if all the night, you know, all the post ninety, but Joinho or post two thousand. Yeah, like me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if all of them know, no. but uh, I think at least uh, uh, quite, quite many of them would, because I, there was a, um, just this this year, like few, like a. Couple of weeks ago, during the 30th anniversary, there were uh, the ABC uh, Australia ABC channel. They went to Beijing, trying to approach random people, <laughs> Chinese people on the street, young people on the street, trying to show them the bank manual. Mm -hmm. And and literally, the first couple interviewee just ran away. Said, oh, I'm busy. Sorry, I can't talk to you. <laughs> and then and then there were a couple of them. Uh, that decided decided to talk to them, but like with their face cut off off camera. Um, and th there was one guy who said, "Oh yeah, I know that image, but you know why? What's the point of showing this?" Blah blah blah. Um, uh, and there was only one uh, young person said, "Oh, I don't know." So so it seems like everybody, young people, like they're obviously under thirty. I mean, like like under forty crowd and. It seems like everyone knew, and and you have to think about it. It's like why a Chinese person would even want to talk to like a, some Western reporter who accosts them in the middle of Beijing street, asks about him and on camera, right? I mean, why would you do that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I, I like like for example, I know. Uh, I can but I may I don't know if I want to talk. I mean, maybe I want to because I mean I'm a, I'm an American citizen. I can say whatever I want. Who without without worrying about possible repercussions? Um, mm -hmm. But if you're a Chinese citizen, right? I mean, it's like why 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 do you want to like risk of getting trouble being caught on camera on a on a Western TV? Right. Yeah, I mean, it looks like a total gotcha thing. Like the the way they set it up and everything, it's definitely not like, oh, this is like an innocent picture, and I just want your opinion on it. Like, I, I think yeah. people can tell that there there's some ulterior yeah. motive going on. Yeah, of course, of course, people are not stupid. <laughs> and, I mean, but but the, just because there's so little, I mean, just so much ignorance about China in the West that that basically. A lot of the media get away with constructing certain narratives like that. Mm -hmm. uh, but well, I know for sure, 40 and above all know about Tank Man. You know, uh, under, under 30, um, I think at least a good significant portion of them know. Does everyone know? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like, if you showed people like, uh, you know, OJ Simpson's, like, a white car uh, on the highway. I think for some of us, it, like that would have a lot of resonance because, you know, we remember seeing it on TV, but like yeah. for, for people born like a little bit later, like, you know, maybe there were two or three when that happened, it probably doesn't have yeah. a lot of resonance for them either. So it really does depend yeah. generationally on uh, you know, yeah. where you were or, when or it happened. Penn State, right? Penn State, Penn right? State. 92 LA riots, you know, like the, yeah. the Koreans on the roof, like those images have resonance for, for people of a certain generation or location and not for others. So, yeah. And that, that's another thing I want to talk about is because for, for people, for Jolinho, right. For people who were born after 89, um, the, the China, they, they live, they have experience is so different from 1980s. I mean, it's, it's almost like, uh, it's more than a generation. It's it's like uh, <laughs> it's like Jura Jurassic Age, right? Like I mean, um, it's you know my 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 youngest cousin, uh, my younger cousin, she was she was a Jomingo, right? And and I just can't see like that's the concerns of nineteen eighties were even like remotely kind of relevant to to her generation. 
I mean, of course, like the, the protests and whatever might be, but I mean, the, what people were protesting for, for example, back then and, and the, the kind of social conditions back then, it was just so different. So, so different. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's like a different world. Um, yeah, and, and they just have, uh, most of them just have more important things to do, <laughs> frankly. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, and there's also other things. Like, my dad was part of protests in 1989 in Changchun. Um, he went to Jilin Gongda. Um, he didn't actually go to Beijing, but, you know, there were student protests in other cities as well. Um, and his evaluation has changed pretty dramatically, especially after the fall of the Soviet Union. You know, like, we talked about the protesters who really looked up to Gorbachev, and then 10 years down the line, they see what happened with Gorbachev, Yeltsin, and, and the former Soviet Union. They think, well, you know, like, hmm, maybe, like, um, if, if we, maybe we didn't really want a Gorbachev in China. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of things that happened, and then the de- crazy development in China that's happened afterwards, I think, has definitely influenced a lot of people's retrospectives uh, on Tiananmen. Um, at least among the diaspora, like I think in Hong Kong, maybe in Taiwan, I, you know, their their evaluations are a little different. Um, yeah, but I mean, I what I have known of uh, former participants in, in 1989 uh, echo very similar um, sentiment as your dad. Uh, like I, I, I talked to a, a participant of 86 and 89 protests, Mike, on my previous. Um, podcast clash before that's mm-hmm. his same same sentiment he's he he kind of totally um reversed his uh opinion on the protest uh after the uh, in the aftermath of the collapse of soviet union and after what china after the phase of development that china has experienced he, he now says you know that uh, the the protests need to be end need to need to end you know china need to to make sure it doesn't get into the same chaos that that former Soviet Union got itself into, um, and and many many others as well. Like I, I met have met uh, on Chinese online forums. Um, a lot of them are now in United States or Canada, um, and when we still like on June fourth anniversary, they will still like post articles uh, talking about their experience during June 4th in Chinese and, and many of them have the same conclusion. It was, it was a very unfortunate tragedy, um, the way it happened, but that, you know, the protests needed to brought to an end. So China doesn't fall into chaos. Mm-hmm. So, all right. And I did say we get to Q and A. I think we covered most of them, but there's two of them that I think we can combine together, and I think this will be like a pretty good concluding segment. But the the first part is um, I'd like to hear what you think were legitimate criticisms of the CPC response, and I think that flows into the next one is to discuss what we have learned from Tiananmen. So, you know, I, I think those two go very together. You know, what what could they have done better? What did they do wrong? And what did we you know, um, I guess as, as ethnic Chinese people or, or as um, socialists or, you know, from whatever perspective you want, like what are the learnings from Tiananmen? So I will address the first question. And I think the from, from the Chinese government perspective, um, I think one of their biggest mistake was that they did not act quickly. Um, the, the, they allowed the protest to drag on for so long and, and eventually got to the point where, um, you know, they have, have to bring an army just to, to, to put an end to it, right? When they could have nip it in the butt long time before uh, with no bloodshed. And, 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 but part of it is because there was no like a unified Chinese um, <laughs> Communist Party at the, at the time, now that we know, there was a, a even split a very top uh, leadership. You know, that, that was pretty, de- it had very deadly consequences. And, and that, that, that kind of uh, led that 
factional struggle to spill over into the wider student protest, um, it, 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 it didn't do anybody any good, right? That, that kind of mm-hmm. uh, decision paralysis. Um, and, and other criticism, of course, like the, I always want to hope for the best scenario, right? I, what I would have hoped is they had initially initiate the dialogue with, with the students earlier, you know, um, even if they don't intend to fulfill all the, all the student demand, at least they can get them off the square, right? They can all, once they're back on their campus, they can always, you know, do their, you know, mobilize all the, 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 the cadres on campus in the, in the faculty to, to, you know, work on the students, whatever. That they did not do that. The, the, again, it falls back to the, that they, they should have been more decisive in the very beginning um and mm-hmm. and and also the um you know i did not this this it, it is a tragedy there's no other way to to put it that the you know the students end up as uh, basically palms in a lot in, in a in a movement that kind of went beyond their control right i mean like initially students thought they were um the initiator right there is a pioneer there there there's a vanguard of the movement but but in the end there were there were bigger bigger things that were outside their control there's there's the the part party factional struggle right and there's also some other uh <laughs> instigation by uh, other powers. <laughs> I mean, um, I don't. I don't want to assign too much credit to CIA because a lot mm-hmm. of people, um, you know, they, they it's so, simply too simplistic to say, oh, uh, Tiananmen Square is a color revolution um, instigated by CIA. I mean, like uh, obviously the CIA didn't. I mean, didn't try to alleviate the situation. Um, mm-hmm. They probably poor. Uh, oil onto fire, uh, right? And, and by all the reporting and stuff. And but but the um, in the end, you know, it's not. This was still a very Chinese affair. There were some fundamental issues uh, at the time in the within the Chinese society that remain un, unresolved, and and that was initially what triggered the protest, and. And in, in, if like the Chinese government had acted decisively in the beginning, you could be over with in less than a few weeks, right? Rather than uh, over three month long affair, right? So, so like yes, you know, CIA will always do what CIA does, but uh, the the tragedy of Tiananmen is not. I don't. I, I. I. would not say like the CIA bears the primary responsibility for architect the whole thing. I like there. There's just no point um, that Chinese government was actually in danger of falling, like like Soviet Union or um, even Eastern Europe at the time, because at least in the beginning, the students weren't demanding a change in government. They weren't demanding a revolution. It was more like they were um, they were demanding reforms within the system, right? And, and mo- most of the, the students, even though they uh, eventually, you know, uh, say uh, democracy, blah, 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 but many of them actually had very little experience with democracy. And, and, and they, what they want, they, they're very clear what they don't want. Is you know all the restrictions, all the restrictive rules, all what they see as a ossified uh, a party hierarchy. But they still, at the time, many students saw themselves as socialists. Uh, they saw themselves as uh, you know defender of socialism. They're trying to trying to improve on, upon it, right? That's why uh, many of them look at Gorbachev at the time as a sort of hero because they thought you know Gorbachev is kind of making the improvement on socialism, right? And 
And of course, the event went beyond, way beyond their control. And, and eventually, they just become kind of palms in, in other people's chess game. And uh, yeah, like this, 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 uh, and I think Chinese government also very much wished to put this episode behind. <laughs> and that's one of the reasons they, 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 they censor all the, all the information related to it. Um, and the, there's, uh, at this point, I don't think there's going to be a reevaluation of Tiananmen, um, like there was a reevaluation of 1976 Tiananmen protest, right? Because uh, there's just no, I don't see, there's no incentive or motivation for that to happen. Uh, I mean, the, right now, after the 30 years of development after 1989, um, you know, people talk about legitimacy, but the current Chinese government actually do enjoy a lot of support from, from its citizens, despite the complaint about censorship, despite, you know, uh, some of the songs, some of the things, some of those idiotic things that uh, bureaucracies tend to do. Uh, but overall, from what I have observed on the ground, there's still a lot of support uh, among the Chinese public for the for the current government. Um, and, and they also understand this government is very different from um, the government of the past, uh, including you know, cultural revolution and including, you know, Tiananmen. So uh, what's valid criticism? Um, I don't know. It, it's That's a very broad question. I mean, right. So I think that's what we mostly, I, I think something that you touched on that was very important though. Um, and this is also reflected in um, a June 4th article last year published by Kaiser Kuo, who I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, and he talks yes. about how there's just a, a crazy convergence of different factors that led up to Tiananmen, you know, like not just like the surprise death of Hui Aobang, but also like the factionalism in the CPC Gorbachev's visit and also students who wanted faster reforms and workers who wanted less reforms. You know, they all were on the same side because it was framed as like, oh, we're against corruption, you know. Um, right. There, there were a lot of things that, you know, people who a few years later would probably be on different sides of the, the argument were all together. And, um, and I think that's the lesson that, uh, or at least that article makes it out to be, like what it says at the very end is, um, you know, the, the tinder was damp and yet it caught fire. This is not a lesson that the party leadership has forgotten. And I think the emphasis on, on unity, party unity, you know, it's not, that's not empty mm -hmm. talk at all. They're very clear what they mean. You know, like they, their lesson, their takeaway from, from 1989 is that factionalism is really bad. Um, it leads yes. to very bad outcomes and we need to avoid that. So, you know, when you hear like Xi Jinping talk about party unity, like it, it is somewhat a reference to, to 1989. Um, do you agree with that? Yeah, and especially given the the more recent context of that uh, of that um, the, the whole affair with Bo Xilai mm -hmm. and Zhou uh, Yongkang, the, 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 the that that was a very serious split on the on the Chinese party leadership. Mm -hmm. I mean, since Tiananmen, that that's like very very first. Um, sign of a serious split among the Chinese leadership since since 1989, and 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 I think what she is doing is kind of readdressing that. Yeah. So, um, you know, like we we had talked about, like some of the criticisms, like not acting sooner, basically. Um, you know, not like having a dialogue with the students earlier. They they ended up just having that like. TV thing, which you can see in the documentary, and that's Li Peng and Wu Kaishi kind of talking past each other, as you mentioned. Um, you know, any other learnings like from Tiananmen, and they don't have to be specific to China, but just like, you know, what what are your personal takeaways from here? Like, you read the events of Tiananmen, like what what do you take away from that? Actually, my takeaway is that um, you know we can all get caught up in uh, like a mass movement. And, 
and kind of lose sight of of uh, of larger things and even rationality. I mean, I I I because it's 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 the it's, it's mass movement is very emotion driven. Right, and and we all know humans are not exactly rational creatures. <laughs> we respond to all sort of emotions. And I talk about my experience in the the protest, where initially I was kind of skeptical of the the college students or their motives. I think they just did it to get out of school. And but eventually, uh, you know, even I was kind of caught up in that energy. I tried to start a protesting my my school <laughs> and and you know I, part, I I remember seeing everybody parading in the city um yeah it, it, it was just a very exhilarating right I mean like it's it, it's kind of like the I don't know it's like some some kind of there's some kind of primal um uh, a switch get flipped on you, you you just respond to that um and 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 you know like that that's that's all great, fine and dandy, um, and 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 sometimes you, even if you feel like you are on the right side of history, but but like really, when you, you, you sometimes you gotta remove yourself from that, and, you know, viewing it from a distance more dispassionately, um, and then you, you you may see oh mm-hmm. really what is the end goal here right I mean I mean like <laughs> what what are you trying to achieve uh, maybe that's not the best way to to go about things right I mean like I think that that kind of happened for the larger Chinese public by viewing what happened to, uh, at the just after dissolution of Soviet Union and also um, the the change that happened in Eastern Europe. And that was a very sobering um, for, for, for the Chinese public at large, right? I mean, I, I think that that helped shape the kind of post-89 consensus that, you know, China needs stability. Uh, it, it can't afford to have the kind of the chaos that resulted from the collapse of USSR. Yeah, I think it's, like you said, you know, it's important not to get too caught up in emotion and get carried away. Like, it's very important to keep in mind what your goals are and how you're going to achieve them if you're going to take part in something like this. And, you know, I I think of, like, successful protests in China or strike actions. I I think those, you know, they have a very clear goal on what they want to get. The demands are clearly laid out. And they're achievable. You know, you don't want to make demands that you know that the other side can't fulfill. Like then that's just going to to get to a stalemate, right? But like it's it's clear it's very important. Unless you wanna just have a a revolution, yeah. right? Like like only if that's what you prepare to do. If you, mm-hmm. if you just wanna make some increment uh, uh, changes, uh, you have to learn to Nego- to, to, to negotiate, basically. yeah, to compromise. Like, if your goal is a revolution, then fine, right? You know, that makes sense. But it's it's very important that your methods and your goals yes. are aligned. Um, you know, because, like, the students, their demands at the beginning just don't align, like, like with what they're doing, you know, with um, going on TV, talking past Li Peng. And, and Li Peng's obviously at fault here, too. But there definitely began to, you could see this divergence between, like, what, many of the students originally wanted and what they ended up doing. Um, so, yeah. And I think those are broadly applicable lessons uh, from Tiananmen too, not just for, you know, not just yes. for Chinese people. Yes. And I think, you know, the, the art of negotiation and, and, and making compromise, it's, uh, it's also part of uh, practicing democracy too. Right? I mean, it's, it's like democracy is not just about having your, your, um, your own voice heard and opinion heard, but it's also, you know, to, it's like accommodation of all the interests, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and that's that's something we didn't discuss too much, um, which is fine, like, you know, like just the, the workers and how their demands somewhat different. I did do a long write-up about that, a bit of self-promotion. Um, 
uh, you know, uh, maybe Carl can link that uh, in the in the comments of this. But if you're interested, there are some good literature out there. There's a, a Walder and Gung paper in 1993 by by some Australian scholars on the workers' involvement in the protests that I, uh, I also encourage people to read. But you know, the it's a, it's a very complex story, and there's more than yeah. just the students. Even just the students themselves, you know, there's there's a lot to discuss. And you said, like, you know, we've talked about Tiananmen for probably three hours total between this and the preview, and there's still so much that, that we haven't covered. But, you know, it's um, I definitely encourage everyone to, to go out, do some more reading, learn about it. It's a very fascinating time in Chinese history um, and a lot of implications for the present yes. day. Um, so, Carl, you know, uh, any closing thoughts on Tiananmen? I'll turn it back over to you. Um, I, 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 <laughs> I'm doing a blank here uh, because I, this is right now Tiananmen is kind of, I saw a tweet on, um, from, I think, uh, uh, overseas Chinese or Chinese American or British Chinese. I don't know what she is, but she... Oh no, she's actually Singaporean. Um, she said, "Melissa Chen." Not Melissa Chen. Melissa Chen is from Hong Kong. Um, okay. I saw this uh, gotcha. as a Singaporean Chinese, and she said, basically, Tiananmen Square has been like an albatross that uh, the Western uh, media and the Western government just been placed on China. Right? It's like whenever. They want to attack mm-hmm. China. It's not um, not not. It's purely just to serve their own interest. Um, you know, in whatever geopolitical rivalry they have with China, it's not really a um, say uh, <laughs> out of concern for the Chinese people. Um, but but you know, at the same time, the Chinese people can see through that, right? And and I mean, like, mm-hmm. that's a lot of, uh, I think a lot of people in the West, they don't get that. They don't, they don't understand that, um, you know, yes, it's the Chinese people, they can also have an independence of thought, you know, uh, 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 that's not completely mowed and shaped by <laughs> their government. They can decide for themselves. Um, and and and, the, and, mm-hmm. and so often the narrative in the West is that the Chinese people are just kind of like these empty vessels, right? They they can they're they're almost kind of yeah. automatons that were just been programmed by the by the Chinese CCP propaganda. When uh, it's it's a lot more complicated than that, and and, and they, many times. Even Chinese people who have all the information resource available to them uh, often come to conclusion that would be very surprising to some casual observers of uh, of China from the West, right? I mean, the, 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 that that many Chinese still choose to support Chinese government <laughs> despite despite all they know, right? Uh, yeah, and that's just such a like a useless narrative, like to say, okay, okay, so if everyone in China is brainwashed, like what what can you do about it, right? Are you going to do we need to overthrow the government then, like unbrainwash, you know, one one point four billion people? Like, how are you going to go about that? Like, it's there's no there's no actionability there, basically, other than it, delegit- it delegitimize the Chinese voice, right? Yeah, like you absolutely. can't just dismiss any. Any Chinese voice that's uh, not congruent with the Western narrative as kind of some kind of Chinese government bot, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's unfortunate, um, and uh, I, I you know I don't know what there is you can really do about it other than than run podcasts. You know, like that that might be the. <laughs> That might be right. one of the best ways, honestly, out there. Like, you know, I can post yeah, a few podcasts, yeah. but like, I think this is some very important education just to give people like an idea of, you know, what what else is out there. Yes, definitely. All right. Um, so, anything else? Um, if we, if I remember, we can always do another episode on it. 
Sounds good. Well, again, thank you so much for having me. Um, it's been uh, a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, I, I really appreciate this opportunity to, to host your podcast. Oh, thank you. Uh, you have been a wonderful host and, and we hopefully we get to do this again. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you everybody for listening in. Um, so until next time. Yeshua